Hello and welcome to the Moving Curve. I'm Rukmini, a data journalist based in Chennai. Two nights a week on this mini cast, I consider one question around the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Tonight I'm considering this one. What did the Mumbai Cerro survey teach us? It's day 193 of the novel coronavirus epidemic in India and we are reporting 21,53,010 cases with 43,379 deaths. On tonight's episode, I am interviewing professors Ullas Kolthur and Sandeep Juneja of the Tata Institute of Fundamental Research in Mumbai and part 2 of the interview will be in the next episode. The TIFR, Niti Aayog and Mumbai's Municipal Corporation, the BMC, collaborated on a Cerro survey that has been eye-opening. The survey was conducted in three wards of the city, one each of which was a low, moderate and high prevalence ward based on what current RT-PCR testing was showing. The sample was then stratified by age and gender and was split into slums and non-slum housing. The researchers found that prevalence was at 51-58% to 58% in the slum areas of the three wards and at 11-17% to 17% in the non-slum areas. I must confess that I came into working on Cerro surveys as a skeptic and you're probably not surprised by that if you've been listening to recent episodes. I'm obviously not a skeptic about Cerro surveys as a whole. I mean, my general thesis is everyone, please do more surveys in all fields. But I had two key reservations. One was around what the findings were being used for, from being used to bolster the argument that the lockdown worked, to being used to argue that the disease isn't that serious, to being used to argue that India was somehow doing exceptionally better than other countries. The instrumentalization of Cerro surveys was bothering me. It still bothers me, but I'm going to tackle those false claims as and when they come up, rather than failing to pay enough attention to good Cerro surveys as a result. The second reason I was a skeptic was because the surveys that I've looked at closely so far, the Delhi and Mumbai Cerro surveys, are not perfectly representative of the general population. And so extrapolating from them to argue about how the disease is progressing in the country as a whole was a leap of faith that I was not willing to go in on. On the second one, I've come around to the fact that not all Cerro surveys are trying to answer the same question. And the best way to judge how good they are is by testing them against what they are trying to answer rather than torturing them into answering all questions. Early on in the interview, I asked them about the thinking behind choosing to split the sample the way that they had versus choosing a representative sample that you could extrapolate from. So one of the um, difficulties that um, me or other people might have to do with understanding how to extrapolate these findings to a broader population or to other areas is to try and make sense of what it means for a sample to be divided into low, moderate and high prevalence and then how to think about it for the broader population. So um, considering it's a large sample, 10,000, um, I was just wondering if there was is, if there was any weighing of options, uh, one being the mode that you chose and the other being to do a you know, purely randomized, completely uh, demographically and geographically representative sample of 10,000 people to then make it more extrapolatable. Is that, was that a choice? Here's Professor Sandeep Juneja answering first. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I, I think uh, if you were to do a complete city sample, first of all, to get a good idea, a good statistically valid estimator, you'll need much more samples. Right. So that's one consideration. Second thing is that logistically, it would be enormously difficult. Right. 
you know, for example, one reason we succeeded in slums was because we had some people who had relationship on the ground. So they knew their way around. It would be very, very difficult to do that. So this way we had a somewhat of a homogeneous group to sample from. Right. But it's true. That also makes it less representative for the whole city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can only extrapolate and extrapolate can, extrapolation can only be so accurate. Right. But can I add to that? And here's Professor Ullas Kultur. The dilemma was, do we want to get a number or do we want to get number which gives us information on how demographies contribute to uh, prevalence? Right. So we chose to use the latter where we said that we're going to look at whether population density, structure, uh, gender and age, will that act as some predictors? For example, you know, the women and, uh, you know, uh, men and uh, potential skews between ages, we wouldn't have been able to capture those kind of information right. if we had to do, do ward-wise. Yeah. Now, uh, the number, yes, so the number is not representative for sure. But you can imagine that what will be representative possibly is the difference in the slum and non-slum. I would like to believe that the number will change, but the trend will re- probably remain the same. One of the biggest reasons that I'm banging on so much about extrapolations is this. What the Mumbai survey authors do with their numbers is that they use them to propose a revised infection fatality rate for these three wards. What we use right now is the case fatality rate, meaning the number of confirmed COVID-19 deaths reported by a city or state as the numerator divided by the total number of cases reported by a city or state as the denominator. What the authors do is they say, Let's use our sample survey findings to estimate what the number of infections, including undiagnosed infections, in these wards is, meaning roughly 50 to 60% of the slum population and 10 to 15% of the non-slum population of those wards, stratified by age and gender. They then divide the total known deaths for those wards by that estimate to say that while the case fatality rate is currently 5 to 6%, the infection fatality rate is as low as 005 to 0.1%. Other sero surveys do this kind of extrapolation too, except most surveys around the world find infection fatality rates to be more in the range of 0.5% or higher. This sounds like a small difference, but it's 10 times higher than what the Mumbai survey finds. I asked them why this seemed to be the case. Professor Juneja responded. Yeah, so I guess first point is that, you know, if you were to adjust for age, for, for Mumbai, for example, and let's say we look at Wuhan data, my guess is Spain data would be similar. So you expect to see 0.2% and what we are seeing is more of the order of 0.1%. Uh, now, part of it could be that, okay, some deaths have been unaccount- unaccounted for. So that would also, you know, fill up some of the gap. Uh, other, yeah, one has to wonder why this difference is. What's very interesting is as follows. This 0.1% is actually lower for the slums and higher for the non-slums. If you look at non-slum area, it's actually very similar to the what you would expect, 0.2%. It's actually more than 0.2%. But for, for the slums, it's lower. Now, why is that the case? One can speculate. It could be that the population in the slums is actually lower, in age-wise lower. They're younger. So that would be one reason to... Uh, Second could be, okay, maybe they have less comorbidities than people in the non-slum areas. Mm-hmm. And third could be that they have developed some immunity. You know, from, you know, and I guess one can speculate on what those reasons might be. 
Right. But yeah, it's true that it's more in slums than non-slums. So you can't say uniformly Indians have more immigrants. That's very interesting. I think that just needs to be understood better. So that's something that's going to need more work and more explanation. On the next episode, I ask what it's like to conduct a sero survey in the middle of a pandemic and what the next one's going to look at. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Anand Krishnamurthy. On the next episode, a new question.